So the game is life. We've been having a good time, not, not just playing games, but also learning about the game is life and the different dynamics and aspects of games. And so if you got your notes, you should have gotten something like this, help you to follow along. There's some notes inside as well. And uh, make sure if, if you're visiting, especially fill out the connect card, let us know who you are, what's going on in your life. And if you're a regular tender, uh, both online and here, let us know how we pray for you. That's a big deal. I like to know how to pray for um, just the different folks that are here and the different things that are going on in your lives. So, hey, as we move forward, let me give you just a quick backup on what we've been doing in this, this series. So we talked about the importance of growth groups, the idea that we can't really do life on our own. We need others to be able to measure alongside, but also to share our lives with. We talked about the dynamic of worship and how that's part of the game is life is you've got to be able to worship and worship in a great way. We talked about marriage and then a week following up from marriage, we talked about the intimacy that God designed for marriage. And that, that one was an interesting week, right? And then last week we talked about bankruptcy that many times you and I can go through life and not even realize that we're bankrupt in our time or talent or our treasure. And we looked at that idea, if you know this older word of stewardship and how stewardship applies to that dynamic. So today we're going to look at something. You may have heard this word. You may have heard this concept. We're going to talk about generational curses as we talk about the game is life. Now, as you look at this topic, you're going to find it generally in the Old Testament, and the Bible speaks to it quite a bit. A lot of times when you're looking for the first mentioning of it, you'll find in Exodus 20, and you'll hear this verse. I'm going to read this verse to you. It's not in your notes. You can write it on the side, but it's Exodus 20, starting with verse 5. And this is where a lot of people get the idea of a generational curse. It says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, Sounds familiar, right? We're in the Ten Commandments area. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third, the fourth generation of those that hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commands. So if you've ever taken a class that we do called Growing with Grace, it's it real fun. I was talking to someone that recently took that class. And they said, man, thanks for adding at least 15 to 20 minutes to my Bible study every week because I now know how to go deeper. And as I've been doing that, it's been rich. You also learn that when you're looking at a Bible verse, you should be asking the question, who was the author? Who was the audience? What was the intended purpose? Because then I can really get at what it means. A lot of times in the church, we don't do this in a bad way. We do it very unintentional. We grab a verse like this, and then we say, what's that mean immediately to me? Instead of saying, what did it mean to the original person that heard it? So then I can do the application for my life. And so what's happened is people have taken this verse and the idea of a generational curse, and they brought it into the modern church. Now I'm going to break this down for you a little bit before we get to it, because I think there's application, but I think there's a misunderstanding. There's an Old Testament reality here. So let me see, let's see what you know about the Bible. Okay, won't, won't pick on you if you don't know a lot. It's okay. So who wrote this book? Ha <laughs> Don't Google it. Moses. Good job. Here, there's your guy who teaches Sunday school every week. Yay, John. Moses wrote this book, right? Wrote the first five, right? And who was his intended audience? It was the Jews. It was Israel, right? So you have Moses writing to Israel, and he's writing, you can tell he's speaking on God's behalf. He's writing very prophetic in this moment. And as he's writing as a prophet to this people, he's saying, listen, I have this covenant with you. If you read the whole book and then Deuteronomy and a couple of, you'll get this idea. God has this covenant, this covenant of promise with Israel. And he's, what he's saying to them as a group of people is, when you are faithful in this covenant, I'm going to bless you a thousand generations fold. But when you're disobedient to this covenant and you're not showing any faith at all, I'm going to put you in uh, the woodshed. I'm going to take you, I'm going to discipline you, and you're going to end up, in, in this case, and we've seen that in Babylon, different places, right, of discipline. So this is in that context. 
So when you look at this idea of generational curses from the Old Testament, it doesn't directly connect to us today. And I'm going to show you why in a second. Because once you're a believer, you can no longer be under the condemnation of the world because you've been set free. We're going to get to that. But it does have application. So let me, let me show you how it has application. What was going on specifically in this verse, if you dig into the original language, was that they were talking specifically to people that were in the Jewish nation that were completely unbelievers in their faith. That's when it says that those that hate me, it's literally they don't have anything to do with God. They divorce themselves from God. They have no relationship with him at all. And that's the one that he's saying in that generation, down to all those generations, there's going to be a punishment. There's going to be a consequence. That's where that is. So how does that apply as we move forward into our lives? Well, it applies in this way. It still applies to sin. You see, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, this especially impacts unbelievers, sin tends to go from parent to child and then from that child to that child. And it literally can move through generations if not identified, repented of, and dealt with, okay? So it has application, but it's not a generational curse per se because God's not the one perpetuating the punishment. God's not the one perpetuating the discipline. Here's the sad part. Who's the one perpetuating the discipline? We are. So we are. So if not recognized, the consequence will be the same, but don't look at it that way. So I'm going to use the word generational curse because it's a term we understand, but I want you to understand the deeper meaning behind this. And then really what we're going to be talking about is um, generational sin and how that impacts the church. So when we're talking about generational curses, we're really talking about generational sin. So what is bad about that? So what about generational curses and generational sin? Where's the first thing you should know? In every family. Generation curses are a part of every family. Every family, whether you recognize it or not, you've got some area, whether you have identified or not, that usually is some area of sin that's impacting your family and possibly your children and maybe even your grandchildren. So let's, let's take a look at just one of those that I think probably a lot of you would agree with, especially if you've raised teenagers, okay? If you're not there yet, you may not see this. But there's this commandment, right, in the Old Testament, honor your... Yeah, so how many see that happening a lot of times in your families? Does that kind of get a little out of whack? And so as you see that kind of getting out of whack and not really being lived out, you have to ask, ask the question, well, what's going on? Why is there not dishonoring? You know, what, is there an area of sin? Is there an area of not teaching that's correct? Is there an area where we're not disciplining our children right? All those things come to bear in that factor. And you begin to ask this question, how is that impacting our family and our situation? So that's how you'll see this lived out in different ways. You'll also see different values that come out of different families as connected to this idea of generational sin. You probably know this proverb, right? Proverbs 22.6. Anybody memorize this one? Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. I'm an NIV memorizer. Sorry if you're King Jimmy or something else. But yeah, so it's this idea that you train up a child and the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So there is some level of ownership and our ability to pass on blessing and sin to our children. And I'll tell, you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another one that I see sometimes that leaks in as we think about this. An area of the role of husband and wife, right? The uniqueness and the beauty of how God's created these unique roles in the marriage. And then I love the fact that uh, I didn't have that. So I'll give you an idea of both blessing and curse in my life. So I didn't have that. My dad left when I was 14. Didn't have a great example of that, right? So I had to live without knowing those two roles. And then as Susan and I began to study our own Bible and live out our own Christian faith, we began to really work hard in these two roles to understand them biblically. And our kids one day told us, they said, 
you guys are just awesome. And it was, it was just a, such a blessing to hear from your own children. You've shown us what it's like to have a mom and a dad that really are mom and dad and husband and wife and that you still love each other. And like, it, it just, it hits you right where it counts, you know? So you can have both blessing and curse that move through your family and generationally. And every family has dynamics of this. Now, the reason I tell you that is not for you to go, oh, dang, you know, and I start counting them up, I can see which ones are mine, right? It's that you would empathize with one another. We've all got this going on at some point in our family that needs to be identified and dealt with. And we also have the blessings, if you're a Christian, in your family that need to be identified and thank God for, right? The second thing you'll learn about generational curses is they're hidden, spun, ignorant, or unspoken. When you look at this idea of a generational curse, it's hidden, spun, ignorant, or unspoken, typically in the families. So let's break those down. Hidden, I'll give you like, so if you have an abusive relationship in a marriage or a family, right? Whether it's a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband or, or parents to children, and you have those type of abusive relationships, whether they're verbal or physical, many times instead of dealing with them, declaring them, you know, we hide them, right? Or an issue with alcoholism or addiction. What we do instead of declaring those and dealing with those and getting our arms around them, we hide them, we suppress those. That's normal in most of the families that are dealing with these kind of issues. Another area is where we spin it. How do we spin it? How is it spun? We minimize it. Well, it's not really that big a deal. I mean, you should just get over yourself. When I call you that, I'm not really saying that, right? That's a verbal abuse issue being spun. We deflect it, right? So we'll see a situation and somebody will say, well, dad, dad's only like that when he's had a little too much to drink. That's a deflection right? So instead of dealing with the core issue, we deflect it to another issue. Or, you know, we're not always like that. Or this, we'll, we'll try to manipulate it. Or we'll redefine or even distort it. We'll see an area where it really needs to be confronted. And we'll just say, no, that's not really what that is. And we'll come up with our own definition of it. That's what the Pharisees did many times in the Old Testament. Or we'll create a distortion of it. Where you see it's being ignorant of it is where we just don't even know that this is an issue because you've grown up in a system where you're like, I thought this was normal, right? So in my system, I grew up with, I told you a dad left when I was 14. What I didn't tell you is um, it created in me quite a bit the overachiever. So I wanted to do well when I was in the military. I wanted to do well when I was in school. I wanted to do well when I was doing sports, when I was you know, in the, my early career as an engineer. I wanted to exceed in every way. Now, I wish I could tell you that I wanted to do that for the glory of God. I didn't. Okay. The reason I wanted to do it when I really got down to it was, I started really praying and thinking about this, meditating on this based on God's word and my own prayer life with God was God began to reveal to me, I did that because I desperately still craved an authoritative male figure to tell me you're okay. That, that's where that's from. Now, that's a, you could call that a generational curse. You can call it a generational sin. The term is irrelevant. The reality is, is I was completely ignorant of this issue for years until I got honest in my own prayer life and got honest with my Bible study life. That's when I really began to show these things came to, to be. And that's when you got to have a great wife too, because she helped to gently bring these things to light as well. Then there's the unspoken dynamic, which is really where it's, you just don't talk about it at all again. You don't know who to talk to it about. You don't know where to talk to it about. And as I began to, again, pray and meditate and think about this core issue in my life, I began to not only pray and talk to God, but I also began to talk to my wife and talk to people that were close to me. And I would ask them questions and they would confirm this area of struggle. They would confirm that this was real. It wasn't just in my head, 
It wasn't just me beating myself up that this overachievement did things. Like, for instance, when you're an overachiever, you tend to, uh, you know, project to other people. Are you an overachiever, one of you out here? Okay. So what you do is you have extreme high expectations of other people, especially your own children. And you can set expectations for them that are unachievable, unfair, and you'll hear terms back if you listen carefully like, you know, you're, I'm never good enough. I never measure up. And I'll tell you, when these things start to come into your life and you start to see them come up and you, and you recognize them in your prayer life and you just talk to God, you go, wow, these are heavy. And to, and to leave these undone would be horrible. So this is kind of how you see generational sin and generational curses is in my life. It'll, it'll look different in yours. The third thing is um, generational curses produce comfort and complacency. That's why they're so hard for us, Right? Because we're comfortable with our sin. We're comfortable with where we are. We're comfortable with how we live out our spiritual lives. Because change is hard, isn't it? Change is very hard. And the older I get, I'm learning change is harder. So, so breaking a habit or a pattern in your life takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of energy. And when we start to look at these things, we're like, I don't know if I even want to deal with this. But, but here's the good news, okay? While it's hard, I'm going to tell you that the good news of the gospel is the same to break generational curses as it is for people that come to faith. So if you've never come to faith, let me explain that. And then I'm going to connect the reality of how you come to faith in Christ, which is what it means to be a Christian, to how this is connected to the breaking of a generational curse. And then we'll look at it in God's word. So when you become a Christian, here's how it happens. You have to first admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior, Okay. Because if you don't admit you're a sinner, you don't need a savior, okay? So you have to get real with God. Here's the areas where I've fallen short. Here's the areas where I've hurt others. Here's the areas where I've not obeyed you, God, in my own life. You get real with that admission before God. And then once you get real with that admission, you say, but there has to be a solution, right? And the solution can't be based on me trying harder, right? Because if you've watched me, trying harder just wears me out. But it has to be based on belief, faith, and faith and hope in a person who lived life perfectly in a way that I couldn't live, which was Jesus, right? Came and lived for um, 33 and a half years, had a ministry of three and a half years. And in his season on this planet, he never sinned in thought or deed because he was unique. He was God in the flesh. And as God in the flesh, he provided a bridge for you and I through faith and belief that our sins could be forgiven. When he died on a cross and he paid for our sin. See, his blood atoned, covers over our sin. And when people really, really believe this, and they really put their hope and faith, there's a commitment. There's a transformation. There's a change in the way they walk, in the way they think, in the direction of their journey in life. Now, those three things is how you come to faith in Christ. That's also how you deal with generational curses. You have to first admit, you have to first find the belief of faith in God's word, and we're going to go through this, and you have to commit to a process of change through habits. So let's look at God's word. We're going to be in a great book of um, 2 Corinthians. Paul was writing to the church, and he was instructing the church, and you'll see how this fits directly into what Paul was saying. Here's the word of God. 2 Corinthians, if you've got a Bible, uh, starting in uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Here's what Paul said. So from now on, we regard no one, if you've got a Bible, circle that, no one, from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. 
The old's gone, the new has come. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling to the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the gospel? Do you see the pieces of it? Do you see in this passage what Christ has accomplished and done? Not that we did any part of this. This is all what he did. And then after he had done that, he offered to the entire world a pathway to reconciliation. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. It's good because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's already done. It's good because it's not based on your merit or effort. It's based on his. The only thing that's required is faith. And so the question this morning as you think about whether it's a generational curse or your faith is, have you made that decision? Have you put your hope and your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? That's the first thing. The second thing is, if there's an area that's a generational sin or generational curse that's plaguing or impacting your home, have you done the same? Have you done the same? That's the good news. So how do you do that? So let's talk about breaking a generational curse and what it requires. It requires first putting off worldly beliefs. First, you have to put off worldly beliefs. He says in 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Circle no one. Again, that's just such a powerful statement in Scripture. Though we once thought of Jesus this way, Christ this way. So the two keys in this passage are people look at Jesus from a worldly point of view. That's a problem. Okay. And we also look at one another from a worldly view. We regard no one in this way anymore. So who's included? No one. Everyone, right? That's a pretty exclusive statement. So when you look at this, think about what the implications of this. It means that when you look at people, there's two primary views that you could use if you're going to look at them from God's perspective. Not yet a Christian? Christian. Not yet a Christian? Christian. Those are my two views. My worldview is very simple because I no longer look at anyone from the world's view anymore. Because if I look at you from the world's view, I can tear you down, tear you apart, find all the holes, find the pieces, find the problems, right? It's pretty easy. It's easy to point the finger at people and find everything wrong with them. It's much harder to begin to view and look at them from God's view. There's this um, deep theological term, I'll give it to you later, but it's called positional sanctification. It has to do with God's view of us, and we'll talk about that as we get more into this, this talk. But I want you to begin to see things from a very unique way. So let's talk about Jesus and this idea of him being looked at from a worldly view. The world views Jesus like this, great teacher and prophet, right? Many world religions look at Jesus and say, great teacher and prophet. He has great wisdom. He has great teaching for living. That's a problem because that's not the fullness of who he is. The world looks at Jesus and says, he was a wonderful activist, right? He said things that ticked off the government. He said things that ticked off the religious elite of his day. We look at him as an activist, and a lot of people that want to be active, they like this because he challenged the establishment. But when you look at Christ from the right perspective, no longer from a worldly view, because we do so no longer, you look at him from the fact that he is God in the flesh and he had one unique mission, which is the breaking of the curse that was over all mankind. 
Not just a generational curse, but the curse of sin was his mission to deal with. And when I see him for that, because only God could break a curse over all of mankind to deal with it for eternity, right? No man could do that. No teacher can do that. No prophet can do that. No activist can do that. Only God in the flesh. And when you begin to see Jesus in this way, it changes everything. So as I started seeing him that way, you begin to come to him with those issues. And you begin to ask him to do things like David did, which was to examine your heart, to reveal in you where you may fall short and what areas in your life may need to be dealt with. That's when I began to see these issues in my own life, in my own parenting, and in my own struggles with what it meant to have a father. So we'll get to that positional sanctification in a second, but let's look at the second thing. So breaking generational curses requires being reconciled. I don't know if you counted it, but reconciled is used quite a bit in this verse and being reconciled to Christ. But in verse 17, you're given really this picture of what it means to be reconciled. If you are in Christ, what are you? A new creation. New creation. The old's gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. So what's beautiful about this is you've probably heard often in church, you've got to do this and do it harder to gain God's favor, right? You have to worship this way, or you have to walk in this way, or you have to believe these certain doctrines. And here, I'm here to tell you that church is great for pushing religion on people, and religion wears you out because you just try to keep measuring up and realizing you can't. But faith in Christ is complete. Let me give you a phrase that just kept coming to me as I was thinking about this idea of reconciliation that might help you and I. You don't work your way to peace, okay? You don't work your way to peace, not in the Christian faith. We become the peace that God supplanted in us. In other words, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes and he now lives and resides in you. And you surrender to him every day through habits that we talk about all the time. Ways for you to connect with God's heart and God's spirit. And as you do that, inside of you, he breathes his character and his peace every day. But if you try to work your way to that, you try to live that out, you will wear yourself out. So positional sanctification, fancy term means this. You and I can see time like this, right? There's a time before I knew Jesus. There's a time I came to know Jesus. And there's a time after I knew Jesus. And we look at those and we make those kind of three very distinct categories in our life. But you got to look at God's perspective. If you want to look at people no longer from a worldly view, God looks from heaven and he sees all those and the end at the same time. So in other words, when God looks at you, if you're a believer, I want you to think about this, or you're one day going to be a believer, God looks at you and here's what he sees. Perfect, complete, sanctified, set apart, beautiful. That's interesting, isn't it? That's how God sees you and I. If you're a believer, that's how he sees you because that's the work that he has begun in you. In fact, to understand this, you are going to be new if you haven't been made new. You are new, and you're being made new, all at the same time from God's view. But when he looks at you, he only sees the finished product. Now, think of what would happen if we no longer viewed people the way the world views people, but we viewed people the way God views people. That I looked at you, and I thought, I don't know where you're on the process because I'm not God. All I know is my role is to tell you about this great news and good news of how Jesus changes my life. 
because I believe he'll change yours the same way. And I begin to think of you as complete and beautiful and Christ-like. Do you think we would treat one another different? I think we would. It's the key. Let me tell you, if you're ever aspiring to be a pastor or a leader in the church, let me tell you why this is so key. People are going to come to you at times. And as you build trust with them, and you'll do this in any level of leadership, whether it's a small group leadership, growth group leadership, Sunday school leadership, you're going to build trust with people. And at some point, they're going to come there to confess something to you. Something deep, something hurtful, something dark, something they would never want any other person on the planet to know. Maybe they've only told God about. And in that moment, in that moment, brothers and sisters, think about this. If you have the view and vision of Christ and God, you see them as complete. That this is a part of the process by which that they'll be made new and full in the character of Jesus. That's the key. That's why I can hear things like that as a pastor and not be offended and not be angry and not have to go and talk about that person's business. Because I see them positionally because they're being reconciled to Jesus. And when you begin to see people like this, it'll wreck a generational curse. When you see your children this way, it'll wreck a generational curse. When you see yourself this way, it'll wreck a generational curse. When you see your parents this way, it'll wreck generational curses. That's why the third thing is you got to get honest and share the healing and the failures of your journey. So you want to wreck these generational curses. You have to honestly share the healing that Christ has given you and the failures. And that's really what verses 18 through 21 are all about. If it's repeated in Scripture, what's that mean, church family? It's important. That's right. How many times is the word reconcile repeated in this passage? A lot. <laughs> That'll work. Enough that I need to take notice, right? Look at that. All this from God who reconciled us to himself. Through Christ who gave us the mystery of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he committed, has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though Christ. Um, through, as though uh, God himself were making this appeal through us, we implore you then on Christ's behalf to be reconciled. I mean, you would think he wanted us to understand this idea of reconciliation. He wants us to be reconciled. This is why accountability and confession are so important with regard to the habits. You can see where the habit of having hang time with God is important in this, right? Because how do you know where the generational curses are if you don't read God's word? You can see where accountability is important because if you don't have someone else that can speak into your life, someone who's close to you, they can't hold you accountable. Famous phrase that comes out of recovery is you're only as sick as your secrets. That's the reality, man. That, that stuff that Satan wants you to hide back here, the Holy Spirit wants you to bring up here, but not just to blurt it to the world. That's just calloused and weird, right? You've seen that. But to someone you can trust, someone you've built a mature relationship with in the faith, when that happens, man, the curse is broken. Those who have been reconciled have to, sh have to share and serve. They move forward and want other people to have part of this reconciliation. And they have only one message. Have you noticed that? Whether they're ministering to children, teens, adults, elderly, women, men, the downtrodden, there's only one message, isn't it? Be reconciled to Christ, because he changes the heart of people. So here's some questions I want you to think about as we get ready to have a moment of reflection. Have you been reconciled? If you've never been reconciled, then you have to admit that sin before God, 
Believe wholeheartedly only on what Jesus has done for you when he died for you on the cross to pay for your sins and commit your life to him. Because that's how you begin that journey. Are you seeing Christ breaking generational curses in your life now? Because if you are, thank him for it. Many times we miss that whole dynamic of prayer. We only present our petitions to God. We need to thank God for the things he's doing. Is there an area where you know, as you've heard the message today, that you go, I'm sensing this could be a generational sin or curse? Is there an area like that? Because you have to start to really pray about that and meditate on that and look at God's word and build a trusting relationship with someone that then will call you and work with you to help you through that. And do you really understand the power of what Christ has done, specifically done in his resurrection? You see, it wasn't just that he died on a cross for you and I. When he rose from the dead, he showed us that there's nothing in our life that's so powerful that he can't have resurrection power over it and abolish it. Isn't that beautiful? Pray with me as we move into a time of reflection. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful and wonderful day. Thank you for how you're at work in every person's life, both here and online. Every person that's here is here by design and purpose. They're here because you want to have an impact on their life and on mine, Lord Jesus. And those kind of impacts only happen when we get authentic and real about our hurts, our hangups, our habits, areas of curses and generational sin that have impacted us, God. Lord, let us be honest with you as we reflect on what you've done. While we may see ourselves as dead, needing you to work in our lives, you see us already made alive in Christ. Give us a vision of where you want to go and how you still raise the dead every day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Pentecostal fire 
stirring something new. You're not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon. Resurrection power runs in my veins too. I believe there's another miracle here in this room. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. My God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that He wants to. Just ask the man who's thrown on the bones of Elijah if there's anything that he can do. Just ask the stone that was rolled at the tomb in the garden. What happens when God says to move? I feel him moving it now. I feel him doing it now. I feel Open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm gonna live, gonna live again. Open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry Well, good morning once again. You get to see me twice in one day. How spectacular! Um, so, so that was a that was a powerful message, Pastor Larry just delivered to us. Um, I I got to help prep with that message, and it, I knew the, what impact it would have. And um, we're getting ready to move into uh, to a baptism here in a moment. But before we get to that, um, I'd like to ask everybody to pull out that fancy Connect card that they got this morning. Pull, pull it out. I want to see. I want to see it in the air right now. I want to see it physically in your hand. Like, I'm even going to put my hat down so I can see past the light. Um, pull, pull that connect card out. Put it up in the air. I want to see all connect cards in the air real quick. I, I want to make sure that everybody has the ability to let me see this connect card in their hands. Because there's an important reason for this. Now, if you look to the front of your seat, you'll notice in the pocket or in the back if you're in the front row, you'll notice that there are some pins just conveniently sitting there. So now I want you to pull one of those pins out, and I want you to think about something, right? Because we, we've been calling for response for weeks on end, uh, all year really, um, a response. But it's not just about us getting this piece of paper. We're actually looking for your response today. 
Like, if there is something in your life, if there's one of those generational curses, one of those things that's been keeping your family sick, or one of those things that's been keeping you sick spiritually, write it down. Share it with us on the prayers and comments. Like, as a pastoral staff, as, as leadership, deacons, and, and the upper leadership of the church, we, we want to take and we want to be able to pray for you. But pastorally, we also want to be able to reach out to you to try to offer you different resources that may fit to where you're at, the struggle that you're going through. We want to be able to help you take it further than just hearing this message on Sunday. We want to help you to learn what it means to apply the biblical principles in your life to get past these things that are holding you captive, Right? But we're not going to know how to help you if you never communicate it to us. So now that I know that everybody has the ability to pull that Connect card off, I, I would love to see your responses this week so we can partner with you on this journey called life. So I'm going to move into the minute uh, explaining the baptism. So baptism, right, that comes after your profession of faith. And, and the baptism is an outward expression of the inward change that happens in our life. Right? It's the outward expression. It's where we come before everybody and we're like, you know what? I want you all to know that I love Jesus and that I'm going to do my best to follow him. And I want you all to hold me accountable to what I'm saying I want to start doing in my life. That's what baptism is all about. And if you've been on the fence, right? If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been on the fence and you have not taken this step yet, I got great news for you. Great news. You ready? So if that's you and you're ready to, to finally take that plunge, if you're ready to get dunked for Jesus, we have shorts, shirts, complete changes of clothes, and extra towels even so you can dry off. If that's you, I know the pool is nice and warm because Jeff came and filled it yesterday and turned the heater on. Like, I'm telling you, it's like jacuzzi warm. If you're ready, <laughs> if you're ready to take that next step, let somebody know. Grab, grab Mike out in the hallway. Grab Pastor Dan. Grab me. Grab any leadership in this church if that's you. And we'll gather some people after service, and we'll, we'll go ahead and take, take you to that next step. Like, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Tomorrow is not promised for none of us. Be sure to step out in faith. Be sure not only to accept him, but to proclaim him and see what he does in your life. Um, so now... Uh, so I was trying to buy time a little bit. So uh, now, so church family, uh, welcome Craig this morning. So, so I had the awesome opportunity of speaking with Craig a little bit before, before he got back here. And I asked him, I said, hey, Craig, what, what's the reason why you want to get baptized today? And what he said to me was, was just so awesome and so beautiful. He says to me, he says, Danny, I just want a second chance at life. I want a second chance to get it right and do what I'm supposed to do and be the man that God created me to be. That's what Craig shared with me this morning. Give it up for that, y'all. That's huge. That's huge. So, so Craig, I want to ask you um, for your public profession, do you, do you, you've already accepted Jesus. Are you ready to live a life that honors him? Are you ready to, to take those steps in your faith today? Awesome. Yes, you heard that? Yes was his answer. All right, so Craig, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in death, and raised to walk in a new life. A 
Again, church family, if you've been on the fence, be sure to come grab me out in the hallway. We can at least talk and try to get you set up, but don't let it linger too long. And we're so glad to have had you all here with us today. And I got the, the opportunity to give you that last point. I know you've been dying to get it. So the last point for today, as you've uh, reflected on Larry's message, is identify, reconcile, and share Christ's win over your sin. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.